as we bow here in your presence, Lord, we come thanking you, first of all, for the privilege you give us to come and to lay these requests at your feet. Father, for those among us who are uh, physically suffering and struggling, Father, for those among us who are emotionally and spiritually suffering, maybe grieving, Father, we pray for relief. We pray for healing where it's needed. And Father, I just pray that as all of us come before you this morning, you would draw us close to yourself. And whatever the need is upon our heart, that Father, you would faithfully meet us there and that you would hear these requests, Father, and answer. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all be seated? Can you hear? Somebody's saying you can't hear. Is that... All right, we're coming out of the monitors. Somebody fix this, okay? I'm afraid to talk. Huh? Are you okay? All right. Can you hear in the back? Please say you can hear. <laughs> okay. All right. As you can tell, we've got a little, a few glitches with this uh, sound system. And... Um, we're talking about giving today, and what better thing to do than to give towards something to do with the sound system, I'll tell you. But uh, at any rate, we've been studying for the last few weeks. The series are a brief series on financial responsibility. We've talked about a lot of things. But today we're going to be talking about giving. You know, back in the 80s, Oral Roberts came on the TV and he said that God had told him that if his people didn't give $8 million to his fundraising campaign, God was going to call him home. And uh, it wasn't too long after that, that same year, that Chet Atkins and Margaret Archer came out with a song. Now, uh, Ray Stevens sang it, but here's kind of a, a taste of what it said. It came out and it said, at least one of the verses was this. If you came back tomorrow, there's something I'd like to know. Would Jesus wear a Rolex on his television show? And, uh, you know, it's kind of easy to understand how that uh, people started making fun of and, and uh, just questioning all the religious shenanigans that were taking place on TV, the hucksters and, and so forth, people who are always asking for money. And it's no wonder that as Christians, um, we and especially preachers and TV evangelists uh, got a bad rap and got a bad uh, image. And uh, really, just anybody that ever asked for money or, or even mentioned it or talked about it really got a, uh, a bad, left a bad taste in the mouths of so many people. Now, like I said, we've been talking about giving, or not giving, but responsibility with our finances. We've talked about being faithful and not being in debt and dealing with integrity in all of your financial dealings. Last week, we talked about the importance of this concept of ownership, that we understand who it is that owns all that we have. And that it's not us, it is the Lord. And this, this idea of ownership impacts every aspect of our lives, but especially in the area of our giving. Now, you take somebody that says, I don't want to give. What is their problem? Well, it's an issue of ownership. I don't want to give it because it's mine and I want to keep it. You take somebody who says, I just don't have it to give. What is their problem? Ownership. They've spent it on themselves. They've squandered it away and they've given nothing back to God. And so it always boils down to a question of ownership when it comes to money. And so today as we talk about some guidelines for giving. Uh, this is not meant to browbeat anybody. That's not the way I, I, I do ministry. Um, but I do want to preach and teach to you the Word of God. And that's my desire, to tell you what it is that God says 
and to challenge you to be faithful in this area because when we talk about faithfulness in the area of finances, this is, for the believer at least, one of the big areas where we fall down, where we fail is in the area of giving. So I want to jump into it because I'm pressed for time. We, we have communion scheduled for the end of our, our time here, and I want to spend time with that. So let me jump right in. And I want to deal, first of all, with the question of who it is that's supposed to be giving and why. So we're going to lump these together. Uh, who and why? Well, let's take the who question first. The Bible teaches that it is believers that are supposed to be giving to the, to the um, advancement of the, of the ministry, for the advancement of the gospel around the world to those in need. And let me show you this passage of Scripture. It's found in 3 John, not a book we look in very often, but 3 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, It is for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. Now what he's telling you is this, that it was for the sake of the name, Jesus Christ, that they went out and preached the gospel, and they received no financial help from the unbelievers. Now that was on purpose, because it has always been the responsibility of the believer to support and maintain every ministry, every church, every missionary, every mission organization, every person that is in need. Now, that doesn't mean that the unbelievers in the community don't contribute to uh, community uh, welfare and things like that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that you and I need to understand that it's not their responsibility, it's ours. And God has given us this responsibility to fulfill. This is the reason why here at Dogwood, we don't do community bazaars or we don't have bingo night. You know, we don't do fundraisers out in the community. We do them here in-house sometimes for the youth ministry and children's camps, things like that. Because it's not their responsibility. We don't look to the unbeliever to support God's work. We look to the believer to do that. And it's our responsibility as believers to do that. Now, when I say our responsibility, I mean all believers. Nobody is excluded. Now, let me run down the list for you. Sometimes we think that pastors and Christian workers are excluded. Missionaries are excluded, we think, from giving back to the, to the ministry or to helping to support people in need, whatever. That is not true. Now, I know that a lot of these young people think I own the church. You know, I've got kids coming up to me. Can I play in your church? Where do you sleep? I've had them ask me this because they think in their little minds that the pastor runs the church and we give our money to the pastor. No, you don't. And the pastor and all Christian workers are equally responsible for the support of ministry. And, you know, Deb and I have our faithful givers. We're big supporters of this church. We're big supporters as far as helping people in need. And uh, we are not just here to, to receive. You know, we, I receive a paycheck like others that are employed here at the church. But we give back equally uh, as much as, as you do as well. We are faithful supporters here. So pastors and Christian workers are included in this this pool of who it is that's supposed to, to help support the ministry. Do you know what? The rich and the poor both equally alike are responsible for supporting the ministry. Jesus never made a distinction. He never said because you don't have a lot that you're not supposed to give. Because in, 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 in God's mind, God is saying to you and me that we all have a responsibility to give even when we think we don't have it to give. You know, Jesus is sitting outside the temple and a poor woman comes and gives her last two pennies in the offering. 
And he commends her for it. I'm not saying that you need to do that. I'm not encouraging you to do that. But what I'm saying is that when God looks at the heart, that God looks at the heart and he doesn't make a distinction between rich and poor, it's me and my heart and my desire to give back and to, to praise the Lord and worship him in my giving. So whether it be rich or poor, old or young, it doesn't matter. You know, we're never too old because we're on Social Security and retirement. That does not exclude me from my responsibility as a believer to give back. Sometimes we think that. Because I'm not working, I don't have to give. And folks, any income that comes into our possession, anything that we have as believers, God says to you, now what are you going to do? As far as your responsibility to support ministry, to help the poor and the needy, what are you going to do? Because you have that responsibility. We all do. The best thing we can do for our young people is to help them learn at a young age what it means to give and how to do it and the responsibility to give it joyfully and to encourage them to do that. And so nobody is excluded. And for that reason, as we've talked about over the last three weeks, this is why you cannot be in debt because debt prevents you from being faithful in this area. And when we accumulate and take upon ourselves a lot of debt, we're at bills up to, up to here and we can't seem to get out from under, we can't give or we won't give. And God is saying so much about financial responsibility in the Bible. We talked about this over the past several weeks. 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with our money and our possessions and how we are supposed to deal with them and handle them. And in those 2,000 verses is the teaching on our responsibility to give. And so it's something that you can't ignore, something we're not going to ignore. Now, I believe that it leaves a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because they don't want to give, they're not faithful in giving, they're disobedient. So right off the bat, you're offending them. I don't apologize for that, okay? Because this is the Word of God, and my calling is to preach it without backing down. So I'm, I'm, you know, if it offends you, come and talk to me. But I'll guarantee you it's probably because you struggle in being obedient in this area that you take offense. So who is supposed to give all of us as believers? Why do we give? Now, this is an important question. Why are we supposed to give? Um, and I've had people ask me this. You know, Why? Why do I have to give? I don't make a whole lot of money, they'll say, and, and other people in the church make a lot of money. Why, don't, why is it their responsibility to support the ministry and not mine? Why am I included in this responsibility? Excuse me, this responsibility. And, and there are several answers to that. Why should you give? The first one is one you probably never think about. You, honestly, you never think about it. It's something that, you know, unless I stop and force myself, I don't really remember or think about this every time that I, I give money. But when you and I give, whether it be somebody in need in the congregation or somebody that's hurting and there's a need and you give it, or whether you drop it in the offering plate or send it to a missionary, whatever it may be, when you give, the number one reason why we should do it is because it is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. For you and me to give back a portion of what God has given us. Look at these verses. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And then notice how he's comparing or equating your giving. He's saying that they are sacrifices and it, it is pleasing to God. It, think of it this way. 
that whatever money you give in whatever area or capacity you give it, that it is an act of, of worshiping God and saying to, to God, I'm giving back a portion of what you've given, given me in an act of gratitude, saying thank you, Lord, and praising you for all that you've given me. And you know what? Whenever we do that, regardless of the circumstances, it says that God is pleased. That this, That is a sacrifice. It's like taking it to the altar and laying it upon the altar. It is a sacrifice back to God. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. This is in response to what the Philippians had sent to Paul. They had sent him money to help him with his ministry. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now look at this. Three things that he says here at the end in this last sentence concerning their money they sent him. First of all, it is a fragrant offering. He's he's envisioning the sacrifice, laying it upon an altar. He says it is an acceptable sacrifice. Acceptable to whom? To God. He's saying God is pleased in the last sentence. God is pleased with what you've done for me because it was a sacrifice that you made to God on my behalf. And so this is the way he's looking at it. And this is the way that you and I need to see this. Now, let me take you. I want to take a little rabbit trail here and chase it for a minute to show you something. Okay. In the Old Testament, there is the practice of what is called first fruits. In other words, a farmer would, would, his harvest of wheat and grain would be ready to harvest. And he would take and he would tie or bind a sheave of that. He would take it into the temple to the priest. The priest would wave it before God as an offering of thanksgiving. Basically saying to God, thank you for this field that you've given me out here that is full of grain that I'm going to go in and harvest. I bring to you the first fruits of that as a thank offering. Now, let me read you the passage. It's in Leviticus chapter 23. We're going all the way back there now. Let me read you several verses here. It says in in chapter 23, verses 9 through 14, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheave of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheave before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on on the day after the Sabbath. And I'll stop right there. Here's when it took place. The day after the Sabbath. Does anybody know what day of the week that is? It's Sunday, the first day of the week. So they had their Sabbath. They did nothing but rest. And then on Monday morning, or Sunday morning, I'm sorry, they get up. And he goes out into his field and he cuts the sheave. He binds it and he brings it into the priest. And the priest waves it in the presence of God as a thank offering to what is happening and what he's about to receive. And it goes on. It says in verse uh, 13. I'm sorry, in verse 12. On the day you wave the sheave, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect. Together with its grain, offering a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. A food offering presented to the Lord. A pleasing. Aroma. Now, catch the phrasing here. It's the same phrasing Paul's been using in, in Corinthians. He's saying, it is pleasing to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. 
and its drink offering of a quarter of hen of wine. Now, what's he saying? He's saying you bring and you wave the sheave and you bring a lamb and you offer it to God along with uh, two-tenths of an ephah of flour and, and wine and all of it mixed together on the altar, burnt to God as an offering of thanksgiving to God. Now, look at this last sentence, okay, in chapter 14, verse 14. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to the Lord. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. What is he saying? He's saying when you, when you look at that field and it's ready to harvest, don't you eat one thing from that field until you bring before God the offering of first fruits. And you are thanking God, you are acknowledging God, you are worshiping God for all that he has given you. And you bring this to him as an act of worship. Now, when the harvest is ultimately taken, they were to required to give a tenth or a tithe of what they brought in. But this was an act of worship. And this is what I want you to see. Now, I want to chase something here, okay? Watch. Does anybody know what day of the week Jesus rose from the dead? What day of the week did he rise? This is not hard. Sunday. This, the, day, the Lord's Day. This is the reason the church is gathered together on Sunday today, because this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday, the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath. Now watch the comparison. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But Jesus was indeed, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now watch. This whole idea of first fruits, it is an act of worship to God, recognizing what is yet to come. When the man in the Old Testament brought his sheave to God, he brought it recognizing there's a harvest behind him yet to come. When Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, he goes into the presence of God and he says basically to his father, here I am, the first fruits of what is yet to come. There is a whole resurrection coming after me. And I am the first fruits. And as a thank offering to God the Father, here I am, here I stand. This concept of worship, first fruits before the harvest ever occurs, giving God the best and the first. Now, folks, we come into this idea of giving, and this idea is picked up throughout the New Testament by Paul and the others who pick up on this idea of sacrifice, the sweet aroma, the, the offering to God, and the money that you give. And whenever you give, whenever you give to what be the church or someone in need or a missions organization or whatever it may be, however God leads you to give it, whenever you do it, it is an offering of praise and thanksgiving to God recognizing all that God has given you and all that he's done. Look at this verse in verse uh, chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. It says, on the first day of every week, here again, Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, Paul is taking a collection and he's told all the churches in the area, gather up the money that the people give because I'm taking it back into Judea where the saints there are under extreme persecution. And he's telling them on the first day of the week when the church gathers together, make your offerings. And when I get there, I don't want to have to take a collection. 
I want you to do this now. And I want you to do it in keeping with your income. Don't, if, you're, if you have all of this income, don't you bring a piddly little offering. It has to be in keeping with your income. Because it is saying to God, this is a token of what you have given me, and I am thanking you. It is an act of worship. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13, that not only that, but whenever you give, other people praise and worship God too. He says, because of the service... By which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Folks, you you need to see this because it does not matter who you are or how much you have or how much you don't have. We are all accountable to God to bring to God an offering of praise and thanksgiving that says to him, thank you. Because I acknowledge that you own it. And I'm worshiping you now by giving back a portion of what you've given me. Everybody has that responsibility. And everybody needs to understand that it is indeed an act of worship. Now that's one of the reasons why we give. And I think probably the primary reason that you and I are compelled to give. But here's the second reason why we should give. Number two is this, because it creates within me a passion for God. When I give, it creates within me a passion and a love for God. Now watch this verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus is talking. Here's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now what he's telling them is this. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your attention is going to be. Now you know as well as I do, you put your money in the stock market, you watch it every day. Up and down and up and down and you worry and you're, you know, you need all this stuff. Because where your money is, he's saying, that's where your passion is going to be. Now, folks, listen to me, because some of you, and I've heard this over, over the years of ministry, somebody will come into me and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I just feel so far away from God and I don't feel spiritually alive and I feel as dry as dust and I just don't know what's the matter. And the first thing I ask them. How much are you giving? And they look at you like, what's that got to do with anything? I say, how much are you giving? Are you giving faithfully? And they'll hee-haw around. Well, I give, you know, such and such. And I said, does it reflect your income? (laughs) It's a wonder I haven't been beat up, you know. And I said, why? I said, because of this verse right here. You see, Jesus said this. He said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your affection is going to be. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your passion is going to be. You're telling me you don't have a passion for God, so I'm assuming you're not putting anything in. You're not giving back to God. So therefore, your affection is not there. Now guys, this is so important. Because I guarantee you, the people that give and give generously back to God's work and to people in need, they're the people who are ministry-minded. They're the people who have a passion for what God is doing and a concern. They're the people, I'll be honest with you, that seem to be the happiest as they go about their Christian lives. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. It's just a matter of mathematics. It's the third reason why we give. And that is to enlarge the kingdom. That by your giving, you are enlarging the work of God. 
Now watch this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there's several things in this. This thing is packed full of stuff. You've got to read this verse. It says, Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. There are several things here in a watch. Number one, he says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now watch. Whenever you have an income that comes into your possession, whatever it may be, God says there's two things you need to remember about this. Number one, I give this to you for your own bread. To provide for your family and to take care of your needs. I have provided you with bread for your food. But there's a second thing that you need to understand here. That I have also provided this for you for seed to be sown. I have given you money to take and give back in some form or fashion to the work of God or to the needy and the poor and the sick. Those are the two things you're responsible for, taking care of your needs and your family and taking care of ministry and people who are in need outside of your family. Now, watch what he says here. But he says, because when he gives it, he says that he will also increase your store of seed. That when you're faithful with what I've given you, I'm going to give you more. For what reason? Well, it's implied here that, first of all, for your own needs... I will give back and help you. you, you, You'll be taken care of. More bread for your food. But also more seed to be sown. And when I'm faithful with giving, God says I give back to you so that you can give more. Now I'm telling you this from personal experience, as well as testimonies from other people. That when you are faithful and see the responsibility that you have to be a giver, that God continually gives back. And when God gives back, you become an even bigger giver. Because if your heart is open before God, and you honestly see your responsibility as a Christian to be involved in this process, God keeps giving to the person who's giving it out. You want to throw more seed? I'll give you more seed. Throw it out there. I tell you honestly, folks, and, and this is been true in my life. When I've been faithful to give back to God, God just keeps seeming, seemingly gives more back to me. And the more I give, God just keeps giving. Don't ever stop. Once that process is rolling, don't you ever get greedy and say, well, I'll just keep more. Don't do it. Because God says, I'm going to give you more seed as long as you throw it out. But here's the point I want you to see, and this is in the last part of this verse. He says, and he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, when you and I are righteous and obedient to give, God brings a harvest. And all that seed that I've thrown out, God says, I'm going to bear fruit from it. There are going to be people saved. There are going to be people that are taken care of. There are going to be people that thank me because you've been faithful in what you've done. You folks, let me tell you something. The money that we give, sometimes it goes into the pot, you know, into the offering plate, into the general fund, or it goes off in the mail to somebody or whatever, and we don't often see the result. We don't see the benefit with the harvest. You know, the money you drop in the offering plate here in Dogwood, there's about probably $40,000 that we give away to missionaries. 
in some form or fashion, be it through our organization or through individual missionaries or outreach ministries, we give away or give back about $40,000 of that. All of this stuff you see up here on stage for VBS, they're gearing up for next week. And I hope, I hope there are tons of kids here. And they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to be taught the word of God and there's going to be a harvest. But you know what? All of that took money. And when you give on a Sunday or whenever you give your money to the church, this is what happens. There's a harvest that results from it. Awana. You know, all year long, kids are hearing the word and being taught the word. That's the harvest. Our youth and our preteens are going to camp this year. And we've had fundraisers within our body here to help pay the expenses for them, to help them get there, because there's going to be a harvest. And all these things and everything that we do, it goes into, you think sometimes just paying bills, but it is a harvest. The electricity that runs, I don't know, $30,000 a year or something. I don't know what it is now, but it's a phenomenal amount of money just to keep the lights on in this place. But we use the building all the time. We know we're trying to open it up on a Friday night to uh, the uh, call to recovery. We're going to be opening up again on, in, in the fall on a weekly basis to the American Heritage uh, Girl and also the corresponding boy organization that is an alternative to Boy Scouts. They're going to meet here from now on. That's going to take money, more lights, more electricity. I wish we didn't live in a world like that, but we do. And every dime that we give, it goes to a harvest somewhere down the road is what I'm trying to get you to see. And this is what he means here in this verse, that enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and your faithfulness. This is what it means to give, and this is why we need to give, because of the results that come about. Let me ask, now let's deal with another question very quickly. How do I give and and when do I give? In other words, we're putting these two together about how and when, because these are practical questions now that people always ask when it comes to the subject of giving. Here are some things that I want you to remember when it comes to the subject of how and when do I give. Number one, it needs to be pre-planned and systematic. Pre-planned, thought through ahead of time. Remember this, if it is an act of worship, I don't just stumble into that. I have to plan it. And a lot of times people come to church on a Sunday morning and it gets to the time where the offering plate is passed. They haven't thought about it. They get caught off guard and they get all upset because all they ever want is my money. That says so much about you. It needs to be pre-planned. It needs to be thought through. It needs to be on a regular basis. This is the way in which the New Testament asks that it be given. Paul said, look, think ahead, guys. Plan this. And give it faithfully and regularly. And sometimes we fly by the seat of our pants. And this is why we we struggle with giving. Because we don't think it through. We get put on the spot. We'll drop a few coins in thinking we've appeased God. And God says, no, that's not in keeping with what you make. And he's given instructions. He said on the first day of the week. Now, it just says because you come together on the, on the first day of the week, that's when you do it. doesn't mean that it has to be. But on a regular basis is what he's trying to get you to see. He says something that you've decided in your heart that's in keeping with what you make. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many givers do we have in church that give it reluctantly because they're afraid of what somebody might think or say, and God's saying to you, there's no reward here. I want a cheerful giver. And so yet we, we care about what people think more than we do about worshiping and honoring God. So what you've decided in your heart, we've already seen that it needs to be in keeping with your income. Don't cheat God. If God has laid upon your heart to give something, then you don't say, well, God, what am I going to do about me? You just give it. It needs to be ongoing. Follow through consistently. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verse 11. It says here in verse 11, now finish the work. He's talking to the churches who are taking this collection to go back to Judea. He says, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. In other words, get it done. Get it done. Folks, don't beat around the bush here. God says, look, give the money, get it done, be faithful. Stop making excuses. Here's one other characteristic about how and when the giving should take place that you need to hear. This is a tough one. But whenever you give, it ought to hurt a little bit. Whenever you give, it needs to hurt. This is a principle taught in Scripture that the sacrifice was painful to give. It was the best of what you had. It was your very best. And God laid down the conditions for the sacrifice, the it was to be the best. Look at this verse. This is in Second Samuel when David was king. And he's in a hurry because God is punishing Israel to make an offering to God to appease his anger. And he's out there in the, in the countryside and it comes to the threshing floor of a man named Aruna. And the angel of death is hovering over Jerusalem ready to destroy it. And God says, wait. David is told, I'll make an altar right quick and, and offer sacrifices to God in confession for what you've done. So he goes up to Aruna and he says, let me have or purchase now this threshing floor that I might build an altar on it to God. Now, Aruna is very much aware of what's going on. You can see it. And he says, there's no way, buddy. You can have it. Just take it. Build the altar as fast as you can. Get it done. And right in the middle of all this chaos and impending doom, look at what David says in verse 24. It says, but the king, David, replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. What? David says, no, buddy, it's not the same. If you give it to me, this is not an offering or sacrifice on my behalf. And I will not offer back to God something that didn't cost me anything. It's, that's not a sacrifice. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Paul is talking about how that some of the churches had given so much money to this relief fund. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty Welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. 
He's commending these churches. He said, guys, they didn't have it to give. And for them, it was a sacrifice. And they didn't do it because I browbeat them. He said, I, I don't do that. He said, but they did it on their own. Because they wanted to, to help. Because the Spirit of God had moved in them so strongly that they were compelled. And it hurt to give it. Now, folks, you know, we come to the, to the New Testament and we talk about how much should I give. People always ask me that because the, the New Testament doesn't really give a, an, an amount or a percentage. It doesn't. He just says, give generously. You determine in your heart. And that every Christian has within them the Spirit of God to give them guidance and direction. And we all need to listen to that. And so people ask me, Pastor, how much should I give? I'm going to start giving. That's between you and the Lord. But they say, well, I need to know something, have some guidance. I'll say, look, in the Old Testament under the law, they gave starting with the 10%. It went up from there, believe me, in the Old Testament. But they started at 10%. That's under the law. I said, well, why don't you start there? And then just listen to what God says. Because God's going to lead you into what you ought to do. But I will tell you this. That every time... In the New Testament, the, the, the whole idea of this period of grace that we live in, it always goes over and above and beyond the Old Testament law. What we have under the age of grace is told to be, to, to be more involved and, and re, more required of us than there was under the Old Testament law. Now, now, let me show you what I mean by that. We're going to go back now to a moment in time when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he made this statement. He says, you guys, listen, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees lived under the law, to the letter of the law. He says, now listen, you've you got to go better than that. And then he gives illustrations, for example. He says, you've heard it said of old that you should not murder. Well, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He said, but I'm telling you this now. He said, that's what they said under the law. But I'm telling you that if you're angry and hate somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. He just took the Old Testament law and surpassed it and went beyond it and exceeded it with the requirement of righteousness. He says, I don't even want you hating anybody. He says, you've heard of old talking about the Old Testament, that thou shalt not commit adultery. Old Testament law. He says, but now I'm telling you that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. I'm taking the Old Testament law and we're going beyond it. And he did that all the time. And so now we come to this question in the New Testament of a Christian living under the age of grace and how much do I give? Look. We've got to exceed the, right, the righteousness of the Pharisees. Whatever the law required, the Spirit is saying to me and will say to me, look, we're going to push you to the limits. Because that's how you're going to grow. You know, people ask me, I'll tell them, okay, look, start with the 10% and then just pray. You give 10% of what you make as an offering back to God because you want to. And then pray to God wherever there is a need that you might be open and have the, the means to give it. Now, this is what my wife and I do. We made a commitment years ago because when I started out in ministry, or at least I wasn't even in ministry, I was going to seminary. I thought because I'm in seminary, that means I don't have to give. That's just how dumb I was back then. 
But then I began to learn. You know what? I have a responsibility. And so we began to give regularly. Didn't have much, but we gave what we could. And over the years, what we have developed is this plan. The 10% of whatever comes into our home comes back to our church. Because this is our church. And together, we pull together to do ministry and to see the kingdom enlarged. We work here. We serve. We worship. We love God here. I would be happy if you just gave that. But past that, we say, then God, whatever the other needs there are that we can meet, then we're open. And there have been times when some of you were in need and we've given anonymously. There have been times when we have given to things, that projects here at the church. There have been times when missionaries have needed help. At the end of the year, when you do your taxes and you figure it up, folks, you'd be amazed. I'm shocked at the percentage of our income that we give away. And you know what? We never missed it. We never missed it. Because God kept giving seed to the sower. And I'm telling you that you cannot... There's no short way, there's no shortcut to this. And so people are always asking, and I'm saying, look, this is the way you do it. And I don't know why it is that we think that somehow, because we're not under the age of law anymore, living under the Ten Commandments and that rigidness of the Pharisees, that somehow we can throw a few coins in the offering plate, and that's all you need to do. Why do you think that under grace, God requires less than what He required under the law? Let me tell you the story. One time there was an old farmer. And he comes running into his wife and he says to her, Honey, honey, you'll never believe what happened. My favorite cow just had twins. Gave birth to twins. That's very irregular. irregular. You know, it doesn't happen very often. One is white and one is red. And he said, Here's what I think. I'm so impressed. I want to dedicate one of the calves to the Lord. She said, I think you're right. Which one do we give back to the Lord? He said, here's what I'll do. He said, I don't know yet. He said, I'm not going to choose, but we'll raise them both together. We'll feed them the same. We'll take care of them. We'll nurture them. When the time comes, we'll make a choice and give one back to the Lord. And we'll send it off and sell it and take the money and give it to the church. A couple of months later, he comes back into his wife and he says, honey, he looks so despondent, so worried. He says, the Lord's calf died. She said, what do you mean? She said, we haven't chosen that calf yet. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I chose. He said, I've always known I was going to give the Lord the white one. He said, the Lord's calf died. Why is it that when it comes to our giving, the Lord's calf always dies? You know why? We make every excuse in the book. And when it comes time for all these things that we want to pay and spend our money on, and then it comes time to the Lord's calf, well, it died. And I don't have the money for that. It's shame on us. Shame on us, folks. And I want to encourage you as we go through this, that you and I begin to give faithfully and regularly to God's work and to God's people and those in need and whatever God lays upon your heart. And a lot of times what happens is this. People who don't have a lot or are living on a fixed income or whatever, they say to themselves, I don't have a lot and I can only give a little and that won't make any difference, so I won't give at all. And what I want you to see is that if God's people would be faithful and be obedient to give as God leads, that the needs of ministry would be met. 
And that it really doesn't matter what you give. It's your heart that matters. Now watch this verse. Last verse I'm going to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. He's still talking about, in this passage, about the giving. He says, for, the will, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Do you hear me? If the willingness is there, if you're giving it with the right heart and right attitude, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Folks, whatever you have, in an act of worship, you give back to God a portion. Because you want to see the kingdom of God advanced and you want to worship Him and thank Him and praise Him. And folks, here's my guarantee, and it's not from me, but it's from the Word of God, that ministry needs will be met if we do that. People will be taken care of if we do that. And our own personal needs will be met because God will supply bread for your food and give seed for you to sow. But it requires you taking a step of faith and being obedient and making a faithful commitment to give back to God some of what He's given to you. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And you know, as we sit here this morning, we're all, we're, we've all got to ask ourselves this question. How do I measure up here, Lord? Am I being faithful or not in this particular area of financial responsibility? And maybe for you, you're not. And maybe right now what you're thinking, what God is impressing upon your heart is that you've been dishonest with me. You have not been faithful. And folks, if that is the case, then right now between you and God, deal with this. And that you confess to God the sin and you make a fresh commitment to be faithful in this area of your life. And to see what God does. Will you trust Him? Because this comes down to a faith issue. Will you trust Him with the affairs of your life? Will you trust Him and give back a portion of what He's given you? Our Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality of what the Scripture teaches us. And now, Father, I pray that as pastor of this church, that you would help each one of us, myself included, to always be faithful, to honor you and to love you and to worship you with our financial resources. And that we would always give to you the first fruits of everything that we have as an act of worship. And that we might sit back and marvel at what you do in the church in ministry, in the lives of people in need, and what you do in our life as well, as we are faithful with you. Father, we trust you that you are always faithful with us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we want to go right.